This is the Ellensburg Angler Podcast. Quote in. Quote in. <laughs> Stud on the squalor, baby. Oh, that was a big fish, dude. Woo! This is a six-pound fish, dude. I was like, oh, yeah, yep. At all costs, do not drink the water. <laughs> I was sitting in a ball in my boat with my hands in my armpits trying to stay warm. When yeah. I get hangry, yeah, fish is done. done. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ellensburg Angler Podcast. Uh, Kyle and Keegan coming at you here. Uh, we're going to be bringing information on the Yakima and uh, our surrounding waterways. And today we are interviewing our owner, uh, the owner of Ellensburg Angler, Todd Fujigami. Uh, he's going to be sharing a little bit of a background on himself, um, how long he's been guiding, and uh, he's also been in the military. So he's going to share some information about that. Um, and the main topic that he's going to talk about is his nymphing setup, um, some recommendations on gear, and uh, maybe a few uh, top secret flies. So uh, we're going to bring him on here in just a second. We just wanted to say thank you guys for tuning in again, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll get right to it. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Ellensburg Angler podcast. We've got Keegan on the line, and we have the owner of Ellensburg Angler, Todd Fuchigami, on here as well. We're going to ask Todd a few questions today about his background and about um, guiding on the Yakima. And uh, main topic today we're going to be asking Todd about is uh, his nymphing. How's it going, Todd? Pretty good. What's going on, guys? Nothing much. Just hanging out. Uh, how you doing with uh, everything with uh, quarantine? Uh, staying busy. Yeah. Buying flies, reloading, nice. playing video games. <laughs> that's what you usually do right yep <laughs> nice minus the fishing is probably the only thing you're missing right yep yeah well and guiding too i guess nice so to start here todd we're gonna just if you give a little bit of a background on yourself for people that don't know you um i know most people that are listening probably come out come out with us before but for those that don't know you maybe a little background on yourself uh where you're from and um and we todd has also been in the military so maybe a little bit of a background on uh, your military experience. Uh, just have people know you a little bit better. Okay. Uh, so I'm not originally from this area. I grew up in Hawaii. And from an early age, I was fishing. Uh, pretty much any, you know, bait fishing. Started off with just a bamboo pole with some string at the end. Catching fish in a watercress p pond in uh, Pearl Harbor. Then slowly work my way up to spinning gear and eventually spear fishing and uh, big game fishing on the on the beaches, uh, but never never got to fly fish in Hawaii. Uh, I wasn't introduced uh, to fly fishing later on till two thousand and three, I believe. But uh, once I graduated high school, I started working and going to school, and. You know, I think uh, so. Nine Eleven happened. I was working on an army base uh, as a preschool teacher, if you can believe that. Oh, I really? I didn't know that. Yeah, dang. <laughs> at Fort Chapter at their child development center. So I was surrounded <laughs> by the uh, army community for a couple of years, and then at some point, I just decided, hey, you know what? Let's let's go see what it's about. And I joined the army, uh, became a medic, and that was pretty much the the farthest I've, I was from away from home up until that point, I had gone to probably California to go to Disneyland before then. But after, you know, they sent me to the East coast to Georgia for training. 
you know, never seen snow, never been to the main parts of the U.S., so it was a real eye-opener. Uh, got through my training. My medical training was in Texas, in uh, San Antonio, and Sam Houston. First duty station was at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and that's where I just started uh, learning to, you know, integrating with my unit. Picked up fishing right away as a something to do on the weekends, and since you know I didn't know how to fly fish yet, I was picked up bass fishing, and I got into bait casting and bass fishing in that area, which is great. That that's Southern U.S. is awesome for warm water species. If you ever get a chance to go out there. And then at some point, uh, I met another individual who introduced me to fly fishing, a gentleman uh, by the name of Christoph. He knew that I liked fly fishing, and he asked me if, uh, or excuse me, he knew I liked just fishing in general, and he asked me if I had ever tried fly fishing, and I said no. So he invited me to, for the weekend, to go to the Smoky Mountains and to try out fly fishing. So I had no clue what, what I was going to be doing, but he let me borrow all his gear I bought a crappy pair of Walmart waders and stuck them in my army boots because I didn't know you needed actual boots. <laughs> um, and then we uh, proceeded to have like a crash course one hour. Hey, this is this is fly fishing. Wave it around. Put it in the water. Do this, do that. And he's oh. like, okay, walk upstream and go for it. So it took me and granted this, this stream, I don't, I've since forgotten the name of it. The stream that we're fishing was a stocked river. But I did manage to catch a stocked brown trout in about probably in that in that afternoon at some point. But that's all it took. Once once I had that one on, I was I was all about fly fishing. Nice, that's very cool, man. Um, so, do, were you when you were in the military? Was it all domestic, or did you go overseas at all? Uh, yeah, a couple times. Uh, so I've been stationed overseas uh, in Honduras for a year, and then I was uh, deployed to Iraq twice oh, and Afghanistan know. once. For each each of those was a year long deployment. Okay, so in total, how long were you in the military? Twelve years. Twelve years. Okay, very cool. Um, so when after you left the military, um, how did you how did you end up in Central Washington? So I was already here. I was uh, stationed. My last duty station while on active duty was at the Yakima Training Center. And the reason I was sent to the Yakima Training Center is because of the fishing. Someone, uh, when I was stationed in New York, told me about uh, YTC or the Yakima Training Center and said, hey, it's right next to the Yakima River. If you like fly fishing, that's, there's a lot of good fishing right there. So I had to pull a few strings, and um, that's the reason I went to Afghanistan with that unit again uh, so they could uh, get me sent to YTC, and, and they made it happen. Oh, very that's cool. awesome. awesome I did not know that, that you did your last appointment like that because you wanted to fish the Yakima. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's some dedication there. <laughs> that's super cool. And it looks like uh, I've seen some pictures of you, Todd, uh, casting when you were – was that in Afghanistan? You bring like a practicaster with you over there? Yeah, a couple of things. A practicaster, I took some rods. Uh, even in my – I think my second deployment to Iraq, I think I was, yeah, I was in Mosul, and I had another buddy – that uh, he was a he's from Montana, uh, Ben Ship, and he was kind of getting back into fly fishing as I was kind of getting as I was getting hardcore into fly fishing. So he was kind of helping me along. So I had a, I ordered a couple of rods and had them sent to Mosul, and we were, we would be casting sometimes. And then I did the same thing when when we went to Afghanistan, uh, fly tying equipment, fly fishing movies, and fly rods. 
That's awesome. Cool. Uh, yeah, Ben's a good guy. I got to meet him uh, the first year we went to the Bighorn for our little guide trip we do in April. Yep. He saved us that year. He brought an anchor because uh, Stefan lost it. Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, he drove all the way from uh, Billings to give us an anchor. He, he helped us out a lot. Heck yeah. And Ben is actually currently overseas right now. He's Is he really? He's due back, uh, I think, this fall. Okay. Is he a medic as well or no? Uh, he is a paramedic in the civilian side, but he's a firefighter uh, in the reserves. Okay. I got you. Very cool. Um, so after you left the military and you got to Central Washington, um, how did you get started guiding? Through uh, our senior guide, Stephen Woodruff. So okay. when, I, when I first got to uh, station in Yakima, I kind of linked up with him. And we were just kind of fishing buddies. Funny story is even before I moved out here, when I was still in New York, I had actually spoken to him on the phone when he was working at another shop. Oh, really? Yeah, because I was curious about the fishing on this side. So I was calling some shops in this area and I actually chatted with him. And eventually, lo and behold, we become fishing buddies and then good buddies. And and now we're co-workers. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. I did not know that. That's cool. So he kind of talked me into, as as I was getting ready to get out of the Army, he he had just, him and Mike started uh, Ellensburg Angler and were, were curious if I, if I wanted a guide. Since he knew, I, and he taught me how to row. Uh, I could fish de- decently enough. And he said, you know. <laughs> And train me and become a guide. So I jumped at that opportunity. Okay. So the first time you guided was with Ellensburg Angler. Yes. Okay. That's awesome. How many years ago was that, Todd? My first season was 2015. Okay. Okay. Wow, five years. All right, Todd. So now that we've done your background, um, let's go into uh, the main topic for the episode. Um, we want to share your knowledge with um, our listeners about your nymphing tactics um, on the Yakima and our surrounding waterways, but m- more specifically for the Yakima. Um, so Todd, can you explain to me what nymphing is for people that don't understand what nymphing is and how it differs from our tactics, uh, our other tactics on the river? Okay. Yeah, sure. So in my interpretation, you know, nymphing is anytime you're, you know, the word nymph is the juvenile version of the, uh, life stage of the insect that we're imitating. So anytime we're going subsurface and drifting, you know, we're imitating the, nymphs so nymphing uh, there's a couple ways of going around or getting around to it uh, you can do which we do the most common is a uh, suspension device or bobber well, it's totally okay to call it a bobber strike indicator for those hardcore enthusiasts um, but i call it a bobber for simplicity's sake because it's no different um, for the simplest way to explain it is we are just dead drifting juvenile versions of the insects uh, to where we think the fish are plain and simple. Okay. Perfect. So getting it down in, in front of their faces. Yep. Kind of doing the work for them, right? Yep. Very cool. Um, so um, when people go out and maybe wade fish or they're fishing in the boat, what kind of water are you looking for? What kind of water we look for when we're, when we're nymphing? Okay. That's a, uh, couple of it, it all depends on the the season time of the year time of the day sometimes uh mainly it's driven by the water temperatures you know the water temperatures the fish are cold cold-blooded so they're influenced by those water temperatures so when we think you know cold winter maybe 
early spring, late fall, you know, the water's touching those upper 30s, 40s, they're going to be, you know, feeding into those, into the slower water. They don't, you know, they're, they're going to be a little more sluggish. And so we're looking for that slack water, that real slow moving stuff. And then on the opposite end of that, you know, deep summer, we're looking for those heavy um, boulder fields, you know, even in, in a riffle, in shallow water, uh, rough stuff that you usually don't typically imagine fish to be holding. You know, in the summertime, they can definitely be there because the faster the water, the more food is moving through that, that square footage, you know, that, that smaller area. Plenty of oxygen in that water. And the rough water actually aids in their uh, ability to conceal themselves from their predators. So it all depends on what time of the year, but for the general rule of thumb, you'll hear it a lot. You'll see it in magazines, read it in books. It's going to be that walking speed, three to five feet of water. That's a good place to start. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. I think that's helpful for people that um, maybe know how to nymph, but don't know how to apply it to a water source. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's a good, good rule of thumb there for people to know. Yeah, exactly. And so, Todd, what is your go-to nymphing setup? Maybe breaking down your rod, your reel, uh, the line, uh, and indicators. Just kind of, kind of break down your nymphing setup on a guide trip. Okay. Uh, so, for the most part, it'll vary depending on what I perceive to be my angler's skill. I'm not going to start <laughs> a person that just picked up a fly rod that first day, jumped <laughs> in my boat. I'm not going to throw three flies weight and a strike indicator <laughs> and have them cast it all day long so i'm going to kind of tailor it but i'd say for your average angler we're going to start with a double nymph setup on that right angle rig i know you guys talked about it in a previous episode on this podcast uh -huh. mm -hmm. but uh the main thing is that i see is people are just too afraid of losing flies you know they're they're setting it up too too shallow or too short and or not enough weight so either through the use of external weights like our tungsten uh, shotgun system or tungsten bead-headed flies, you know, that's what we use. And extending the length of our leader, that's what we use to achieve the right depth and where we want to get it down to and how quickly we get it down as well. So for my more experienced anglers, you know, I'll go to the max. I call it the triple threat. Yes, I'm going to be sitting there untying tangles. Uh, a little more frequently, but it, it does give me <laughs> more options. And it, I kind of like to think, you know, all the flies are working in conjunction with each other, whether it's, you know, like a stone and a worm, a big, big stone fly and a small bead head or uh, two stones, various colors and sizes, and then a small dropper off of that with a small fly, you know, it'll, it'll kind of go with what's been working. And also, if anything had changed previously, we want to kind of narrow down what they're taking a little quicker. So having that third fly can, you know, make that process go a little faster as well. Okay. So, so what, what kind of rod are you, would you recommend for nymphing on the Aquaman? Uh The rod you got? The rod you got. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's, you know, if, if budget was no issue, I would have a little stiffer, stiffer action, um, probably a six weight. Uh, for my nymphing on the Yakima, just because I th I'm throwing, you know, I'm not afraid. I'll throw the weight, throw the heavy stone indicator, you know, three flies. I want to be able to uh, chuck it, you know, sometimes at distance, being able to mend it at distance. Uh, to pair that, I'd probably, 
if, <clears throat> if I was really serious, I'd probably go with some kind of uh, indicator line, which is a, a line designed specifically for nymphing, which is going to have even more weight up front than a weight forward. I know Orvis makes a good, good nymphing line, and uh, it allows you to roll cast it really well. It allows you to mend at distance, and it's got a little more uh, uh, material up front near the tip, which helps turn over those heavy rigs, especially uh, in the wind. Okay. Um, do you know this, this specific name of that line? It's just the Orvis nymphing. I know Orvis is in the process of changing a lot of the lines, so I'm not sure what the current version is called. I could, I could look it up for you. Okay. Yeah. Maybe we'll put in the show notes after we'll look it up after uh -huh. the episode show notes. So everybody has a chance to um, go buy that line if they want to want to purchase it. Yeah. Um, so what, what kind of reel are you going for? And maybe explain uh, the reel. Why. The reel to yep. me is the least important, the least important piece of equipment for fly fishing for the most part. I would just say, uh, you know, the larger the arbor, the less memory coils you're going to have on your, on your line, but that can be easily remedied with a good line stretching before your session of fishing. But, uh, you know, most of our fish we're going to be stripping in anyways. It's going to be a really rare occasion that we're going to be relying on the drag system to slow fish down. Um, I'm not a big fan of reeling fish in unless I have to. So I'll, I'll strip in pretty much everything, you know, even up, up until including steelhead on the Yakima. <laughs> and, and why is that, Todd? Um, so anecdotally, this is just in my mind, uh, when, when we reel, you know, we've got, we're making these little jiggly motions on the, on the end of this nine foot rod. And so if you're watching somebody's tip while they're reeling, they're actually bouncing their tip up and down, up and down. And so to me, that's making these little, little jerks in the line. That's actually making the hook hole that's, you know, holding your fish a little bigger every time. Whereas when you're stripping, it's smooth. It's, you know, you can take up a lot more line. Um, and, and there's reasons like that. I don't have any hard data to back that up, but just anecdotally speaking, that's what I believe is happening. And that's why I prefer stripping line in. My finger is my drag system. Gotcha. Yeah, I never thought of it about it that way, like making the hole bigger in the, uh, in the fish's mouth. Um, I've always thought about it as like, you're adding more slack with the movement of the rod tip, but that, yeah, that makes a, sense. Yep, and I have seen that, especially new anglers. Uh, they're so focused on that reel. They're, they're going to look down. And <laughs> while they're doing that, what's going to happen? The, the rod tip drops, and yeah, exactly what you said. Slack is induced in the system. That's a yeah. good pro tip right there. <laughs> yeah, that'll, that'll help you catch a lot more fish. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tom, what, uh, what indicators or bobbers do you use on your uh, nymphing setups? Oh, it's okay. So that's uh, all dependent on the type of water. So for the Yakima specifically, I'm a fan of the airlock indicator the classic airlock indicator i should say at this point i have i just started using right before the shutdown maybe for a month i got a hold of some of those uh new airlock style the uh, foam biodegradable ones yeah you and i got those uh yep. in and they they land lighter in the water uh they float well they fish well the one downside i can think of is the more i handle it the orange one was starting to get brown mm. And so it's going to get dirtier and dirtier and less bright, which, hey, some people will probably want that because it's going to be, you know, a little, little more discreet. But other than that, uh, <laughs> maybe if you sand it down a little, it'll clean up. But that's the only thing I can downside I can see so far. Okay. So I usually use that 
I'm not usually adjusting them throughout the day. Uh, if I if I need to make adjustments on length, I'll just add more or take away, you know, the leader and tippet material. And if I'm fishing wintertime with just tiny flies, like just midge patterns, I'm expecting a lot of subtle takes. I'll probably go down to a yarn indicator or a New Zealand style strike indicator where I can control the amount of material. If I'm fishing Rocky Fort Spring Creek, uh, the water is really slow. I just use those little pulsa stick-on indicators. Okay. So I don't know. I don't carry too many varieties. Gotcha. Yeah, I gotcha. And if, if you're careful with those airlock indicators, they can last you for a long time, especially if you're not fishing every day like we are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Todd, what kind of tippets, maybe just brands of tippets you use uh, for your nipping setups? I use Orvis... Fluorocarbon for nymphing. And why do you prefer fluorocarbon over uh, nylon tippet for nymphing? A couple of reasons. It's a uh, number one attribute is it's holds up to more or holds up to abrasion uh, a lot better than nylon does. Okay. It's, it's denser than water. So it sinks. So that's just another bonus for getting our flies down to the fish a little quicker. And it's nearly invisible under the water. So for all those reasons, it's far superior to, to any time you're nymphing to fish with fluorocarbon. It is the downside uh, is the price. <laughs> it's it's very noticeable, the price difference, but it is worth it. If someone has a tight budget and can't afford uh, fluorocarbon tippet um, or maybe has forgotten it at home, uh, is their day, day ruined if they only have nylon tippet? Not necessarily. No, no. They're... They're not going to get into the strike zone as quick, but that doesn't mean they're, they're not going to be showing their flies to, you know, to the fish. They just probably have to overcome that by adding more weight, by adding more uh, length to their leader as well, or going down in tippet size as well. Okay. So the thinner diameter of tippet is also a factor in how quickly your flies are getting down to the bottom. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so now moving on to flies, um, I know there's a bunch of flies we use for nymphing, um, but maybe share a few that can make uh, maybe a weekend warrior successful uh, coming and fishing the Yakima. Uh, you know, if you're not getting too overly specific, you know, first off, if, if, if you only had one, a Pat's rubber leg stonefly. That'll fish in all seasons, all conditions, just depending on, you know, sizes and weights, just adjusting that. If the water's dirty, just get a Sharpie and color up your pat stonefly to make it all black. Uh, going on, you know, most of your classic patterns are going to work. Uh, I tend to fish more tungsten flies in the summertime because the water's bigger. You know, you need to get it down in some of these runs. Um, let's see. Hare's ears, prince nymphs, copper johns, you know, they're classics for a reason. They're, they're all proven effective. So you're just kind of matching the hatch, essentially. If you got mayflies coming off, fish, fish mayfly imitations. If you got caddis coming off, caddis imitations. But always fish a stonefly with them. Okay. And Todd, I know that uh, when you're talking about some of these smaller flies, I know you like to fish a lot of CDC on your patterns. Uh, why is that and what does that CDC do? 
So the CDC, it's like, a, I mean, I only started adopting this in probably in the last two or three seasons on my flies, my collars, especially. It just gives it a real lifelike buggy look. It traps some air bubbles, which does a great job of imitating those emerging uh, bugs. It does add a little buoyancy because of that. that. Um, but for the most part, I think it's just the look look of the fly. Okay. So, Todd, earlier you mentioned the mend. Uh, for people that don't know, maybe explain the mend and why it's so important. Why is the mend important? I want to say because I told you so, but <laughs> no one's going to learn anything from that. Mm-hmm. So the mend, the mend is, how do I explain it to my clients? The mend is the control of your slack line between your tip of your rod and your strike indicator to achieve the best possible drift at all times through most water conditions. So sometimes you're going to be throwing it, or excuse me, most of the time you're going to be throwing it upstream in relation to your indicator or flies. Sometimes you'll even need to do it downstream in relation to your flies, you know, the downstream men, depending on what position you are from the bank or from the boat. Uh, so the mend is, I like to tell my clients, the men is preemptive. If you wait till you have to, or you're forced to mend, it's already too late. You're ruining your drift. So if you're, the men is inevitable. The men is like paying taxes. Everybody has to do it. <laughs> you get penalized if you do it late. It's a good way to think of it. Yeah, so there is such thing as overmending, but you hardly ever encounter. I'd say more for dry fly fishing, you would encounter you can be overmending, but for nymphs, you can be pretty aggressive with those mends. A lot of people think uh, it's the end of the world if you move that strike indicator, but uh, you know if you're if you're mending accordingly, there should be slack between your your because it's a slack line presentation between your indicator and your flies. It shouldn't always be super tight. Um, so moving your strike indicator is not the end of the world. That little bump is not going to put the fish off, but a bad drift will definitely do that. Is there ever ever a situation where you wouldn't mend? Mm, I would say that comes into play more on dry fly sight fishing. When you know that your fly is going through the fish's, uh, cone of vision or a little strike zone and you rather just, uh, not disturb the fly or the leader and just take your chances. That's, I think that I, I can think of that's the only time I wouldn't mend, or if I'm purposely trying to swing my flies at the bottom end of a drift, if I'm static, mm. uh, when you tighten up on your flies and you kind of purposely drag them, they're actually swinging just like a salmon or steelhead angler would do it. What they're doing also is rising through the water column. So that's actually a, a good thing sometimes, especially when you have emerging insects around. Because they're leaving the bottom and they're kind of gently uh, ascending through the water column. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, do your nymphing tactics change when you're switching from boat fishing to wake fishing? Maybe uh, some tactics that change when you're nymphing? I'd say I tend to overweight and over lengthen my leader when I'm wade fishing. Okay. Uh, when, when I'm wade fishing, you know, you're limited to the amount of drift you're going to get. And so I want to maximize that as much as I can. So I'll try to get as way with as much weight and length as I can without being detrimental to the cast or the hook set. And that way, as soon as my flies hit the water, they are getting down to the strike zone as quick as I can. And I tend not to be, uh, overhead cap over 
head casting as much when I'm on foot. I, I usually do just a water load or a tension cast, sometimes even uh, two-handed casts with my nymph rigs. Mm. I tend not to do the uh, overhead cast just because any, plus um, in the boat, you, you kind of have to do that overhead cast because you don't have any other room to go sideways or tension cast. Okay. Very cool. Um, I know you've been guiding for quite a while um, on the Yakima. So do you have any funny, crazy, or exciting guide stories to share with us? They all kind of blend in <laughs> together. You know, probably at one time or another, I thought something was crazy, but then I was like, oh, it's just normal. <laughs> uh, but I'm constantly surprised by the river itself, just on, you know, um, the wildlife that we see, the the people we meet. It's that in that sense, it's never the same. But uh, I mean, I could tell you some stories of, of the, the worst horrible clients I ever had, but I I tell I don't want to, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to dump anyone out or throw anyone in the bus. Right, we'll spare you. We'll spare you on this one. <laughs> All right, Todd, real quick, just going back to uh, the nymphing part. Do you, do you have anything else that to add about your nymphing that we didn't ask you already? Um. So for the most part, uh, you know, the, when when we're nymphing. I, you know, the fly does matter to a certain extent, some days more so than others. A lot of people are more inclined to change their flies itself, uh, the pattern itself, to versus changing their leaders. Whereas, I mean, adding, adding length, adding weight. You know, if you're changing flies for that specific reason where you're like, okay, this fly is heavier, I'm going to get it down quicker, then by all means. But don't let the fly selection be the first. You know, if you're using the flies you know, general, you know, stonefly, mayfly pattern, you know, most likely it's going to be part of your presentation. That's the issue. You know, we tend, you know, it's a very rare day that you, you have to have the must fly, have fly on the Yakima. You can get away with other flies, other patterns, even off color, off size. So they're, they're fairly forgiving on most days. So, you know, most people should, should target their presentations and their, how they're setting up their rigs versus the actual fly itself that's my best advice where can uh where can people go find some more information on on nymphing is there any online resources you can recommend the orvis learning center we recommended that a few times on this podcast that's that's the third or fourth guide to recommend the orvis learning center so if you haven't checked it out yet you better go check it out (laughs) yeah there's a reason we all say that because uh they present the, the information so efficiently and i watch the videos not to learn the information is i like to learn how they're instructing so i can turn around and use that same methodology on my clientele's so and they do a great job another thing i think if you have amazon prime orvis is releasing their uh guide to fly fishing on amazon i believe with tom rosenbauer that's, why did not. that's awesome i think they're i think too they're releasing them to youtube like a couple weeks after they've been published to amazon so you can get them on there as well oh yeah yeah so youtube is a great um resource but there are there are crappy videos on youtube i've seen seen a couple (laughs) you trust with if you go with the trusted sources you should be fine but you know then again if you if there's something you have no clue about there's a lot of a lot of stuff like i'm not too keen on two-hand fishing so I'll watch those videos just to see what it's all about. But there's a lot, a lot of good, good information. 
Okay. And then I know that Todd, sometimes several times throughout the year, uh, you're going to uh, maybe some fishing clubs or to um, one of the Orvis stores and giving presentations. And do you go through all your nymphing when you're giving those presentations? Usually we do a, I think once a year we'll, we'll tie in what we call the rigging demonstration with, with the uh, presentation. Okay. But usually our presentations are either season specific or body of water specific. Okay. Yeah. So if people want to, then they, they can come to those presentations and maybe uh, either learn some from the presentation on their nymphing or even ask you. Um, so that's a great opportunity to learn from, from you too. Absolutely. And so Todd, I guess we, Keegan, I kind of failed to ask you in the whole beginning on how you came to own Ellsworth Angler because you started guiding in 2015, but, uh, you kind of took over Ellsberg Angler in the last couple of years. How, how did that whole process work out? So this is our second season. Well, beginning yeah. of the second season. So for a couple of years prior to that, my wife, Sarah, was already doing the bookings for Ellensburg Angler. And I was just the guide. So we both were employed <laughs> by Ellensburg Angler. So Sarah got to know that side of the business really well. And Mike Kennedy, uh, the previous owner, the one that started Ellensburg Angler, uh, asked me, you know, what, what I, first of all, what, what I had planned for the future. And I'm like, I don't know, I'm just guide till I die kind of thing. And he's like, uh, do you foresee, he asked me if I foresaw myself staying within the industry and, you know, and I said, yeah, I could, I could definitely see myself doing that. And he's like, what would you do? You know, if you had the opportunity to own Ellensburg Angler, I'm like, I'd probably jump at that. And then we started talking and, uh, we made a deal and, we took over and bought the company and here we are 2020 second year <laughs> COVID-19. <laughs> yeah. First year is definitely better than the second year. Starting yeah. Out. Yeah. Yeah. But we're all doing it. So if, yeah. If we, and, and I like to say, if we get through this year, there's nothing that we're not going to be able to weather For through. Sure. Yeah. If, if, if we, there's going to be bigger issues. <laughs> if, <laughs> If Ellensburg Angler's not around, you know. Yeah, definitely. So, so com coming back to the Yakima, uh, what's your uh, your favorite time to fish the Yakima, Todd? Favorite time? Hmm. You'd be like me and say a specific day, <laughs> <laughs> or just a general season. But what's uh, what's your take on it? You know, some years I like to say the fall, but I think I like what I think I like guiding in the fall the easiest. Oh, uh, why is that? Because <laughs> the water's low, the fish are hungry, you know. So you got I, big muscles from the summer. <laughs> yeah, you're doing a lot of back row. You know, the you know where the fish are. It's really easy. They're congregated. If you find one, you're going to find more in the fall. What I like to fish personally is probably early summer evening caddis. Ah, uh, dang! Yes, Kyle and I were hoping. <laughs> Kyle said. His favorite time fishing yakima was was caddis, and I said fall. So I was hoping you were going to say fall, but <laughs> but maybe maybe a couple years ago I would have said fall. Mm -hmm. I like guiding the fall. Don't get me wrong; that's really easy. Yeah. Um, but for me personally, I like sight fishing. You know, the the weather's just to that comfortable point. It's not it's not cold anymore. It's definitely not balls hot. It's just you know it's summertime. And it's you're fishing in the evening. You got maybe a couple of mosquitoes to worry about. 
but the fish are just going going bananas for those caddis. That's awesome. Yeah, we're gonna have to do another podcast with you and get you on uh, talking about caddis. Okay. Yeah. Coming up if we get if we get a fish, it's coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. maybe <laughs> yeah. I I saw uh, Inslee's. Uh, announcement last night on Facebook and he was talking about the two things he's going to try to open up first. Well, obviously in phases, this is what they're talking about, but was uh, major surgeries and out the outdoor industry. Um, so hopefully we can start seeing some, some openings come May 4th, but plan it by year. Yep. And as soon as we know, we'll put it out on our social media. We may even do an email blast as our newsletter to say, Hey, we're, we're going to be taking booking starting from this day. Mm-hmm. And hopefully uh, we can teach some people how to fish. Yep. <laughs> yep. Get people on the yep. water. So, Todd, we're going to start yep. transitioning now into some listener questions that we've gotten from social media. Uh, some okay. of them are specific to, towards you and some of them aren't. Um, actually, no, today all three of them are specific towards you. Um, so if you just answer them best your ability and um, see what you have to say. So the first one comes from Jeff Kraft. We all know Jeff on Facebook. Unfortunately. <laughs> he says, who inspired Todd to become a guide and who inspires him to, and who inspired him to take up fly fishing? Uh, so I kind of talked about it a little bit earlier. Uh, for the guiding aspect, I'd say I would have to say Stefan mentored me even before I knew I be, wanted to become a guide. Just by him teaching, teaching me how to row and to fish the Yakima. Uh, I had never fished from a drift boat until I moved to Washington. All my fishing was done on foot up until that point. So, you know, he took me under his wing and showed me how to fish the Yakima in different seasons, in different times, how to ro- fish and row at the same time, that kind of thing, you know, fishing with other people. And so I definitely would have to say Stefan was my mentor and kind of got me into guiding. He's the one that convinced me that I could do it. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah, I think I think you and Stefan both convinced me I could do it. <laughs> so you guys pass it on. Stefan was talking about that yesterday. How Mike passed it on to him, and he's passing on to other people. And yeah, that's how that's how yeah. it works. Do your part. Um, second question is your favorite place to fish on the West Coast, and your favorite place to fish on the East Coast. Hmm. Okay. So I'd say. West Coast. You're talking about like just the western half of the U.S. or does it have to be touching? I think I think the... they mean the western part of the United States and eastern part of the yeah. United okay. States. I would have to say Rock Creek in Montana. Nice. nice. I was curious what you were going to say. Um, I was I was curious you were going to say the Yakima, and I was like, ah, he won't do that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, Rock Creek. That's cool. Yeah, it's just a real small, intimate piece of water. I mean, it's a lot of water. It's pretty long. Um, plenty of camping opportunities and whenever we're, we're there, no one's ever around. So we have it all to ourselves. Okay. Um, the next question. Uh, oh yeah. Sorry. East, Wait, coast. East coast, East coast. I would have to say the West branch of the awesome, or it's going to tie the salmon river and the West branch of the Osable in New York. Okay. Were you stationed in New York? Is that, have you, do you fish that before? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so I lived, uh, I think, about an hour and a half north of Syracuse in Watertown. And the Adirondack Park, uh, Lake Placid, was maybe about two and a half hours away. And the Salmon River was about 45 minutes away. 
So I was able to fish both those bodies of water a lot when I was stationed stationed out there in New that's York. Cool. And that's that's fly fishing and and for trout. So the Osable, yes, fly fishing for trout. They've got rookies, browns, rainbows, and then on the Salmon River, we've got uh, steelhead, browns, salmon. Okay, very cool. And so, another question that um, our, our friend Keaton asked all of us, or asked us a couple podcasts ago, that we've kind of been using for everybody on the podcast, because uh, it's really interesting to hear what everybody has to say, is your dream fishing destinations in both saltwater and in freshwater. Hmm. Freshwater, I would have to say Argentina, just for okay. trout in general. Okay. And then salt water. I mean, hmm. I want to catch tuna fish. Tuna fish on, on a fly. Out, out yeah. of where? Yeah. Just wherever you I can. I don't know. Yeah. I'm talking like wicked tuna. Like tuna. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Like, I want to catch a 300 pound tuna <laughs> six, on a six fly. Six hours rod. later, 12 hours later. Yeah. On a 20 weight fly rod. Yeah. yeah, I got it. This is popping my head, Todd. But um, you said you never, you, you didn't really fly fish growing up on the island or on in Hawaii. Um, have you returned and done done any fly fishing in Hawaii at all? Yes. Whenever I kind of go back and visit, I'll take a eight or nine weight and go chase after some bones on the flats out there. <laughs> That's awesome. I know you've talked before about us doing that with you. I would, no, uh, I would dig that. It would be super easy. Yeah. Got to stay Especially. Oh, flights are so yeah. cheap. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Once we can fly. <laughs> yeah. All right, Todd. So we got the last question here to wrap, this, uh, wrap it up for the day. Um, last question is, do you have any advice for military personnel or really anyone who wants to get started fly fishing? Or best way to get into the industry? Industry? Uh, into the fly fishing industry. Like working in the fly fishing I would industry? say more fishing, like for fun. Oh, okay. Like someone who's never touched a fly rod before, how how do they get started? Okay, so I'd say if you're in the military, ask around. You know, if you've got a buddy, definitely it always helps to have a mentor. And also, in most military bases in the U.S., we have the Project Healing Waters. That program works with vets and uh, a lot of disabled vets to get them on the water. You know, they'll teach teach fly tying, rod building, casting. They organize outings around their area to chase after whatever they have in that locale. And also a club. If you can join a local club, the same thing. You're going to have a lot of mentors, people that love to share the sport, you know, kind of take you under their wing, not necessarily show you all their secret spots, but they, you know, people in general, just like teaching each other people how to fish and how to fish tie flies, how to build rods, that kind of thing. So that's a good good opportunity to grow in the sport is getting into a club. Okay, that's great. That's some great information, Todd. We'll make sure that uh, people will see that. We'll, we'll go ahead and throw some of the links up to some of the things you've been saying in the show notes. And uh, if people want to get into it, they'll be able to go there and, and either learn more or try to join a group and uh, get out on the water. Definitely. All right, Todd, we're going to wrap it up here. Do you have anything else to add to the day? 
think we covered it all. Okay. Perfect. We'll end it there. Thank you again, Todd, for coming on. I'm sure we're going to do some more podcasts in the future. Uh, we've talked about doing some like on the water podcasts, just miking up for fishing days. Um, those will probably be explicit, but um, we'll, uh, we'll make sure we have you on again. Sounds good. Yeah, the inside looks, the Ellsbury Angler guy. Yeah. All right, Todd. Well, all right, Todd. Thank you, man. You, uh, you have, all right. have a good day, and we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Have a good time. Bye. All right. Take care. Everybody, thanks for listening to today's episode of the Ellsworth Angler Podcast. We want to say a big thank you to Todd for coming on today. We're going to be sure to get Todd on in the future. We want to make sure that everybody's staying safe, staying inside, and hopefully we'll be able to get back out on the water soon. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, make sure you do. You get updated every time we upload a podcast. You can find us on several different podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Pocket Casts. We're on several of them. So if you have a podcast app, we're most likely on there. The best way you can listen to us and give us feedback is on Apple Podcasts. So make sure you leave us a rating and review. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Give us some feedback. And you can also ask questions or let us know how we're doing on our social media. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And we also have a YouTube channel where we put on fishing reports and some fly tying videos. So make sure you go follow us there and subscribe. Thank you everybody for listening to the Ellsberg Angler podcast. We'll catch you on the next one. Tune in to the Ellsberg Angler podcast every Monday and Thursday for new episodes. Submit your questions on our social media to get answered on an episode by your hosts, Keegan and Kyle. As always, tight lines, and we will catch you on the next episode.